is Paul Tanter. You're listening to Stuart Pink on Phoenix FM. Yes, it is. I'm very excited to say that zooming onto the show is director, writer, producer, podcaster, and all-round master of all sorts. It's Paul Tanter. Hello, Paul. Hello, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for zooming on. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Can you uh, describe the scene for us where you're zooming in from? I'm zooming in from my flat, but you can't see anything because I have my talking bottom artwork background behind me, which is a podcast that I do dedicated to the sitcom bottom. Um, And because we did a series of interviews recently with cast members and people who worked on the show, I had the set as the background and now I can't work out uh, how to take it off. So otherwise (laughs) I would have a stealing chaplain background behind me because that would be more appropriate. That would be, but that's okay. We could take a bit of Rick and, and Adrian behind you there. They look, they're kind of perfectly in proportion with your head as well. They do look like they're, they're still. Oh, oh, oh yeah. No, none of this happens by accident. It's all design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The tape measure out behind him and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I've just said exactly 17 centimeters away from the screen. And then. I... <laughs> so you mentioned the podcast. Obviously, we have a mutual friend, uh, Mr. Mark Searby, who does our film reviews and movie news. Uh, uh, he popped on your podcast. I've had a listen. It's a great podcast. Uh, delving deep into uh, something obviously a passion of yours Mm, absolutely yeah well i mean i grew up watching bottom so uh the generation before me i think grew up watching the young ones and that was the uh, thing that everyone sort of compared and you know uh, quoted in the playground for me it was bottom i was always always a huge fan of rickman and adrian adrian emerson's work um and so when i got to adulthood and there was the uh, podcast craze going on it seemed only right that only about five years after everyone else had uh, jumped on the bandwagon and, and done a podcast that i would do the same um and so myself and some friends like-minded fans decided to do a sort of uh, a dedication to it so each episode is a deep dive into an episode from bottom but recently we did a 30th anniversary series because it was the 30th anniversary of the show when it first played in september 91 and we interviewed a load of people who worked on the show lots of the actors in it people who worked behind the scenes uh, the producer the director um and yeah it was just a very great sort of interesting deep dive into the show and we're writing a book at the moment as well which will be out next year which is of the same name talking bottom oh wow so, so it's featuring some of the interviews or sort of delving into each episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the interviews were kind of, you know, they were partly to inform the book. So we've got more information from the people who worked on the show. But also it was because we wanted to share it with, uh, you know, the, the podcast listeners. So uh, the interviews are a great deep dive into, into a lot of the episodes and stuff that happened behind the scenes. And the episode we did with Mark. Mark, as I as I said uh, when we were tweeting about it, Mark Searby literally wrote the book on Rick Mail. He's the guy who has written this sort of definitive uh, biography of Rick. It's a great read. Um, it's called Rick Mail Comedy Genius. And if you're a fan of Rick Mail or of alternative comedy, I recommend you get a copy. It's, it's, you can get a digital copy really cheap on Amazon. It's a really good, uh, really good deal. So yeah, we interviewed uh, Mark about Rick's life and about his work. Um, and there's so many stories about the guy. You know, the guy was such a great hard worker and uh, and and a comedy genius which is also you know conveniently the title of mark's book yeah we did have to get a restraining order on, on him uh, but uh, he's, he's a yeah, big fan i think al pacino's got one on him as well <laughs> he has yeah he's not allowed in anywhere near the library in case he moves that book <laughs> from the shelf <laughs> so paul you mentioned your, your childhood growing up and, and enjoying bottom uh watching that growing up as a, as a kid and, and talking about that in the playgrounds and stuff um Obviously, British sitcom comedy was a big influence on you. Did you kind of grow up thinking, I'm going to do that when I grow up? Is that, was that always on your agenda to make films and to be involved in film and TV? 
not specifically film. I, I always think I always enjoyed comedy. Like the things I really enjoyed growing up was Bottom, Red Dwarf, Blackadder, those kind of things. So Bottom and Red Dwarf, I was counted as my two favorite shows. So when we got to interview Ed By, the director, that was an absolute joy for me because he directed both of my two of my favorite shows growing oh, up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I said to him at the time, I, I felt growing up that it seemed like I thought television was made by about five people because the same <laughs> names always appeared at the, at the end of the shows that I watched. So you'd always see Ed by um, uh, Peter Jackson, Bob Spears, John Plowman, John Lloyd, uh, yeah. usually with effects by Peter Rag. And I thought, oh, all TV is just made by the same people. And then it turns out, oh, no, actually, just all the TV I watch is made by the same people. Yeah. Um, so comedy was very much uh very important for me and very formative for me but i wanted to i knew i wanted to be a writer so i sort of started doing stuff to get into journalism and it wasn't until i finished university that i actually then started making inroads into film so my first thing i did was i was working um in essex actually uh for uh what was then dream 107.7 in chelmsford and also at the weekends for bbc essex um uh, like r- running the desk and answering phones and things like that. And I was, and I was doing a little bit on the news desk as well um, at dream 107. And then a, a friend, a mutual friend introduced me to a film producer who was looking for a writer who wanted to rewrite. He needed a, a rewrite for a script that they were doing. And would I take a look at it? Um, and I said, yes, cause it was, it was a very interesting project. And I rewrote it into something that was more along what the lines of what the producer wanted. And that was sort of my first step into film. So I worked with the producer on that. And then while we were doing that, he said, look, I want, I'd like to release a graphic novel alongside the film um, that carries on the character's story. And I thought, okay, well, I love graphic novels. I'm a big comic book nerd. So I wrote one and that was the, and then that became the basis of the next film, which I also wrote. And then we did a third one in the series. This was all, it was a film noir series about an undercover detective called Jack. Um, And when it came to the third one, I said, look, the first two were okay, uh, but I kind of felt like the directors didn't do exactly what I thought they should have done. So can I direct the third one? And so the the producer let me co-direct it with another director. And that was my first step into directing. So it was sort of a circuitous route. You know, I didn't didn't start as an actor or anything like that, as many people often do. Um, And that was sort of how I went from being a comedy fan through to being, uh, you know, wanting to be a writer and then eventually into directing. Amazing. So not necessarily by accident, but the, you, like you say, most people, I suppose, start acting and then start in front of the camera and then yeah, behind it. Uh, people who do direct. So a lot, a lot of them tend to go to film school, which, you know, I'm not knocking it, but, you know, I feel like there's you can't beat practical experience. Um, some people get into it via being a writer, which is how I did. Other people, you have actors who move into it. Um, and sometimes other crew members like first ADs and things like that, they'll they'll sometimes move into it. So there's no sort of set route into directing. Um, but I was very fortunate that, you know, I was sort of, um, you know, things happened the way they did for me. There's no set route. Uh, and it's always a lot of hard work and you do need a certain amount of luck as well. But yes, I managed to um, manage to wangle, I managed to get, get, uh, get my foot in the door of film and, and not let anyone slam the door <laughs> on me so far anyway. Barge it open. That's the <laughs> have you? So have you? I've not not checked your your IMDb credits yet. But have you? Have you had the chance to uh, to be in a film? Have you put yourself in in front of the camera yet? I am. So my IMDb does not reflect the amount of films that I'm actually in. I'm in an awful lot of them, usually because not so much in a sort of Hitchcock must do a cameo kind of thing, but usually because 
the stuff I do, it tends to be quite low budget. And so we're, <clears throat> everyone kind of tends to do 10 jobs. Yeah. You know, everyone wears a lot of different <laughs> hats. Um, and usually there'll be a point in, a, in filming something when we'll go, oh no, we'll look at the, what we're doing tomorrow and go, oh no, there's someone in this scene has a line. We haven't cast this. Okay, Paul. Who's going to do that? Yeah, yeah. So I've done, I've, yeah, I've been in, I've been in various things uh, with varying degrees of dialogue. Uh, sometimes I've played more of a main character in things than other things. And other times I've just been in the background of stuff. But usually as a cost saving measure, I end up being in something somewhere. <laughs> the the barman or the <laughs> man in the background reading paper. Yeah, yeah. I've been a patient in a hospital. I've been, I've been sat in the background of the bar. I've been um, a mood. I've been a mood, <laughs> a moody military guy. I've been uh, a a doorman. You know, I've been lots of things. Yeah. What's your favourite uh, in 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 front of camera role so far? Uh, I played a so in Age of the Living Dead, which is an Amazon uh, Prime vampire series. We did. I played a soldier. That I had a quite, I had a reasonable amount of dialogue in that. That was fun because I got to wear a all in black military uh, kit, which I look great in. If I'm perfectly honest. Oh, nice. Um, and I got to run around the forest, uh, you know, like with a machine gun, uh, you know, shooting at vampires <laughs> and stuff. So that was pretty fun. I mean, I was directing it as well, so it was sort of like juggling six balls at once. But it was also when when I saw it on camera, I thought, yeah, it's worth it because I look good because I look really good. Yeah, can we do that again? But get me in the middle, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can be in the next one. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so you mentioned there your um, your your Amazon Prime TV series, um, Age of the Living Dead. Uh, they, we're, but viewers might recognise things like No Easy Days as well as another political action TV show. Uh, what's it like from a director's point of view when you're shooting a series as opposed to a film? It, it seems like such a massive project to take on a series. Uh, well, it's bigger. They, you know, it's longer. There's more moving parts. There's more actors and that kind of thing. I will say whenever I've shot a TV show, um, such as No Easy Days or Age of the Living Dead, I've never shot them the way that American Network shoot them or the British um, continuing drama does it, which is they always shoot, they shoot episode one and they shoot episode two and they do it all in order. So it's all consecutive. Yeah. Um, but I don't, but we don't do that. What we usually do is we just shoot the entire thing like a big feature film. So, because if, for example, um, we, if in every, if in every episode there's scenes where we're in, Downing Street, for example, and we've got a set that looks like Downing Street. There's no point going there uh, one week and then going off to shoot everything else and then coming back next week. You may as well just shoot everything from episodes one to six in that location and then you're done. So yeah. when we do that, we just shoot it like a big feature film um, and then the editor just cuts it all together later on. So it's always bigger scale than a movie. It takes longer um, and there's more actors, but ultimately it's all kind of the same thing. It's all drama in front of the camera. It's getting performances from actors. It's um, telling the story that you want to tell. Usually with TV, you can let stories breathe a bit more and you can, you know, it's, it's nice in that regard. That's something I quite enjoy about that. But by and large, it's sort of the same thing, really. So with, out of all the people you've worked with, uh, you mentioned yourself casting in some roles. Uh, some of the people you've worked with have come into other, uh, you've worked with several times. Uh, have you ever had one of those Hollywood diva meltdown moments on set? Who's, who's the most, uh, the most Hollywood? <laughs> um, I've not had, I mean, I've had actors be 
not difficult, but sometimes they can be a bit crabby or they um, they have opinions about things, you know, um, uh, about how they want things to go or something like that. Uh, I'm quite fortunate. I've never had anyone be difficult or walk off or I've, ne- I've never had to yell at anyone or chastise anyone or anything like that. Um, I did once have an actor. I won't name the actor, but I did once have an actor who was supposed to be playing quite a serious role. And they came in in the morning and they were wearing a wearing a white Stetson, a cowboy hat. And they leaned into me and said, I was thinking I might wear this today uh, in the scenes. The character could wear this. It'd be quite interesting. And I went, uh, yeah, let me think about that for a minute. And they went off to costume and I had to text my producer and go, I've got to now tell this actor that they can't wear a cowboy hat <laughs> in their scene today. And I then went upstairs and went, hey, look, I like, I like that you, th- I like that you, you're thinking i like that i like that you're kind of a team player but you know what i think we'll just go with the traditional suit because i think that's what a ceo of a company would wear and they didn't push it they just went okay cool and i thought okay right and i did wonder later on if they were testing me in some way they wanted to see whether i just crumble and go okay you know um but no uh so i told yeah i won't say who that was but that was quite that was a reasonable name that was quite a big name actor but i won't say who it was that's amazing. That's like when you take your kids to school and they're wearing like, I'm going to wear the fairy costume today. Uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> also, I will say, I've seen this actor appear in other things wearing that hat. And I, oh. I wondered if they've done the same thing to the directors of those things and gone, can I wear this? Nah. And they've just gone, <laughs> okay. Because I don't know how to say no. Um, but I did say no to that. That's an amazing trick. We, you have to, I'll, I'll prize you off air to see if we can uh, identify <laughs> t- the cowboy hat. <laughs> I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you off air who it was. <laughs> I'll keep an eye out for that hat and everything they're in. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So we're here today to talk about get your director's hat back on uh, for a, a brand new film, which is out uh, now uh, on DVD in the UK. What can you tell us about Stealing Chaplin? So Stealing Chaplin is, it's inspired by a true story, which I didn't think, or I didn't know was a true story until Simon, the producer, told me the tale. And I actually had to check it up and I found it was true. And this story is that in the late 70s, after he died, Charlie Chaplin's body was dug up and stolen by a couple of uh, brothers who were criminals. And they tried to ransom it back to the family. And they played a sort of cat and mouse game with the police for a few weeks. And eventually they were caught. And the body was returned to the ground and it's now buried under about 50 feet of concrete so no one can do it again. And when he told me this story, I thought that's amazing. And I Googled it and it was true. And we thought this is this has got to be the basis for a, a darkly comedic story. There's so much there's so much potential there for not only for humor, but for dark humor. And so we thought, right, where would we want to set this story because uh, we thought like we we don't need to do a faithful documentary retelling because it's set because that would be in the 70s in switzerland so we thought right we'll do a modern version because we live in the modern day um and where in the world best encompasses schemes and scams and get rich quick attitudes and that kind of thing and we thought right vegas yeah so <laughs> so we got a writer we know, Doug Phillips, who's also an actor who plays the other brother, uh, to write us a great script with with lots of uh, sort of cool characters in a, in the seedy underbelly of Vegas, uh, a sort of Elmore Leonard or Tarantino style sort of uh, caper, 
in which you drop these two slightly idiotic British uh, characters who uh, sort of, uh, someone described it as if you took two characters from an Ealing comedy, or if you took two characters that sort of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost might play and drop them into a Tarantino film or an Elmore Leonard uh, novel or something like that. <laughs> yeah, And that's sort of what you get. You get this sort of weird Britishness dropped into a kind of slice of life craziness underbelly of uh, of vegas and that's stealing chapman so it's a british made it's a british made film but it's it's all set in america with a majority american cast um and it's very you know it's very ambitiously made uh like you look at it and you think it's a multi-million dollar movie but it's not um and yeah and it's a sort of dark caper comedy really uh that's uh, you know lots of the audiences really seem to be enjoying it's already had the release in the u.s and people loved it there and, and it's now out today in the uk Nice. Dan, presumably if it's a, a British uh, shot and, and casted with British actors, uh, this is sort of leaning a bit on your uh, influence from, from things like Blackadder and, and uh, Butter. Yeah, you know what? Uh, there's There were scenes that we were doing where I felt like it was an episode of either Peep Show or Bottom. So there's quite a lot of slapstick in it. Like, obviously, yeah. it's, it's a homage in many ways to Chaplin, and Chaplin was the king of physical comedy. So there's quite a lot of slapstick moments in there, but also Simon and Doug, who play the brothers, they've already got this great sort of brotherly relationship between them. They're not brothers, but they know each other very well. And they've got that kind of um, love hate thing where it's, I think it's a, it's a British thing where, you know, your best friend, you will insult, you know, and, and yeah. that's the kind of thing. And that's the way you show affection with each other. And they've got that sort of great, I'm loath to use the word banter, but they've got that great sort of back and forth with each other. Um, in scenes where you can sort of, you know, it's sort of like bickering, bickering family. And it and it's just wonderfully comedic and uh, and really sort of ties the, the whole film together. And so there were times when we were shooting when, as I say, I felt, sort of felt like, ah, the, 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 there's a sort of spirit of Blackadder in this scene or there's a spirit of Peep Show. Or as I say, with the physical comedy scenes, there was elements of bottom and so forth in some of them. Nice. I guess for a lot of American viewers, though, if they were going to watch this, they would pick up a bit on, on Chaplin and some of the, the slapstick sort of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, there's lots of Chaplin references and Easter eggs in the film. All the characters in the film are named after Chaplin, actors who work with Chaplin or characters from his films. There's lots of... Um, we begin a lot of the sort of chapters with quotes from Chaplin's life that he said. And there's just, you know, there's lots of little hidden things in there that if you're a Charlie Chaplin fan, you'll spot and go, oh, I get that. That's that's a reference to this film and that film. So, yes, uh, there's a lot in there for, you know, for British and American audiences. Amazing stuff. I, I couldn't quite get my head around the fact this is a, a true story. It's amazing. Yeah, well, we took a, a few liberties with it, obviously. So I feel like... That, uh, there's a difference between based on real events and inspired by real events. And the difference is that you can kind of do what you want when you're inspired by, uh, and that's what we did. So it's a very liberal um, interpretation, but it's one that lends itself very nicely to, um, uh, to a comedic interpretation or a darkly comedic interpretation anyway. Awesome. So we won't reveal, of course, whether the uh, the money was made and how the deal went down. Uh, but lots of lots of tension, lots of fun to be had. Um, I like how you've listed in the credits for this that Charlie Chaplin um, plays himself in the. Uh... <laughs> uh, yes. Well, again, that's our little that's our little homage to him. Well, <clears throat> in one of the scenes, they in a couple of scenes, they uh, they are watching his films and they, and characters are sort of getting inspiration from watching his films. So. Um, we felt like it would be an appropriate um, 
uh, <clears throat> an appropriate credit to him to have him included in the in the cast as himself, and we appreciate him being in it. But also, I'm, I think that Charlie Chaplin would actually enjoy this film. You know, we wanted to make something. We didn't want to make something that was exploitative, and we. Uh, after we made it, we did send it to the Chaplin family, you know, the, the people who run his estate just to say, look, we've made this and they watched it and they said, that's fine. We have no problems with it. You know, you're not being derogatory about him in any way, in any way or anything like that. Um, so it's nice that they were very supportive in that way. And I Brilliant. think it's something that he would enjoy as well. Excellent. I was going to ask you that. So I'm glad, I'm glad. Have you had the chance to, uh, to, to visit the, the, the actual grave? It's, it's not, not in I'm... New York. It's in, it's in Switzerland. So that's where he lived the final years of his life and where he was buried and where he's uh, again buried now. But no, I've not, I've not visited it, but I would, I would like to, I've, I've never been to Switzerland before, but I would, enjoy, I would like that. To make sure someone follows you there to make sure you leave him where he is. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, leave the pickaxe, <laughs> I'll leave the pickaxe at home. <laughs> Amazing. You mentioned some of the cast you work with. You've worked with them before uh, on other things. Um, I think the last time when uh, you released uh, The Nights Before Christmas, uh, Mark Sibby did a, a review of it. We shall be, uh, it will be giving us a review later this week. Uh, I hope so, but I, you know, uh, I would expect nothing but an impartial review from him. So, uh, you know, um, I've I've not discussed it with him in advance or or threatened him in any way and told him it must be a good review. But I, I hope he enjoyed it. But we have started digging just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, it sounds like an amazing piece of work. Um, it's out on DVD um, uh, now. Yes, uh, DVD and all your, digi- all your digital uh, providers. So wherever you download your movies from normally, be it iTunes, uh, Google Play, Sky Store, look on, those, look, on, look on those apps and it's Stealing Chaplin. You should be able to find it now. Nice. And you've obviously done a fair amount of research into Chaplin films to make this. Um, yeah. Would you... I, I, I mean, Doug, uh, Doug, the writer, did the majority of the research. But yeah, I mean, I did, I did a bit. Sorry, I stepped on your question. Go on. Sorry. What, what were you going to ask? No, you're right. I was going to say, is, is there something you would say is worth watching that to get that Easter egg in that film? Uh, is there a couple of references that would be well worth you watching a, a couple of the Charlie Chaplin clips before you watch your film? You know what? I would say if you watch... Um, uh, watch the great dictator and you'll see a few references in there for sure. Like, you know, um, uh, we told Doug when putting in little references, go for, you know, we don't want to sort of snobbishly, um, uh, exclude audiences and say, we well, have to say, you have to have seen all of Chaplin's movies. So we went yeah. for like the, the best known ones to kind of homage. So if you've seen the great dictator, I'd say there's quite a few references in there. Excellent. Nice stuff. Uh, cool. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what's what's uh, what's in the pipeline, Paul, um, outside of this this awesome release? Um, is there anything else coming soon? Yeah, well, you so you mentioned The Nights Before Christmas. That's a Christmas-based horror film that we've done uh, that was a follow-on from a movie called Once Upon a Time at Christmas. And we have a third one in that franchise coming up, which is called One Christmas Night in a Toy Store, which is sort of diehard in a uh, in a large toy store, uh, but, <laughs> but with a, but with horror characters and with serial killers. So uh, that's oh, wow. that, that'll be something we'll be working on next year, uh, along with a follow up to Stealing Chaplin called Stealing Elvis. Oh, nice. <laughs> we'll leave this. Elvis, leave the casket. We will find out. <laughs> Amazing work, Paul. Where can people find you and track you down uh, if they want to keep tab- tabs on your, your work? Oh, if they want to follow me, then I'm on uh, Twitter at, at Paul Tanter. Uh, but also, if you want to follow the um, all of the films and TV stuff that we do, uh, follow uh, at Dystopian Films. And if you're a fan of the uh, uh, 
if you're a fan of podcasts or the sitcom bottom, follow Talking Bottom. Talking Bottom. It's conveniently written right behind him as he leaned to the left there. That's beautifully done. <laughs> like a true pro. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I look forward to checking out Chaplin. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. We'll see you soon. Cheers, mate. Take care. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the interview, then please share it. Uh, if you didn't enjoy it, then share it anyway. <laughs> for more guest interviews like this, or to get the next one delivered directly to your device, subscribe to the Now You're Talking podcast. You'll find it wherever you get your podcasts from. And the whole thing has become a huge library featuring well over 150 guest interviews from music, film, comedy icons to community heroes, local legends, stars of the future and just about everybody in between. A treasure trove of life's stories from all sorts of incredible people. So for more interviews, podcasts, videos, poems and books, everything I do is available at stuartpink.com. With Stuart Pink and Mark Searby. It's Phil Reviews and Movie News with me, Stuart Pink. And as always, the man who thought Amazon Prime was a new character in the Transformers franchise. It's Mark Searby. <laughs> yes, I like that. Amazon Prime. Uh, Optimus Prime's... Um, Brazilian sidekick. Cousin. Uh, long distance cousin. Long distance um, cousin. Yes. They haven't um, met him yet because there's a lot of land between... There the is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I always wonder why the Transformers landed in America and never really went anywhere else, did they? I mean, they never heard of a P&O cruise ship. Yeah, Could you imagine like, hey, a Transformer on a, on a cruise ship? I mean, the, the, the ship would yeah. buckle over. I mean, Brexit's hard enough at the border. We don't need any more complications. There's <laughs> no paperwork for that. Oh. Imagine Transformers all waiting at the border. If you can just park yourself off at that uh, lorry park in Kent, that would be great. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Operation Stack. Well, we're here to save the world. Uh, well, well, you have to wait your turn like everybody yeah. else. You're not special. Film reviews <laughs> and movie news.